Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast drink and food editor. Joining me today is my co-host, of course, is Dave Longridge. Hello. Welcome. Today we have a very special episode about Cuba. Uh, you know, I think there are a few places on Earth whose drinking cultures have been more romanticized. Cuba was really the first place to pick up full time on the American way of mixing drinks to participate in it as an equal partner. You know, Absolutely. you went down to Cuba and the drinks were great. And obviously for so long, I mean, you know, even though Cuba is just uh, tantalizing 90 miles away from the coast of Florida that for so long Americans, you know, we were forbidden from going there. And I think, if anything, all of these stories and legends and obviously Ernest Hemingway's adventures have taken on almost a life of their own to the... Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you get to Havana and it's it's almost overwhelming. We've heard so little about it for so many years, uh, about modern Havana. Right. And you don't realize that like 90 miles away basically, you know, a little further for Havana, is uh, this huge modern city that's just been sort of stuck in aspic, you know, right. and frozen <laughs> and, and, uh, and is, is coming back to life finally uh, as, as the as economic uh, development is going in. And, uh, and it's just fascinating to, uh, to, to, to see. And fortunately, at least over the last couple of years, you know, thanks to the Obama administration, you know, relations between the U.S. and Cuba have finally reached a point where it's fairly easy to travel. Yeah, but no, I've got news for you. <laughs> we don't know yet exactly right. what's going to happen. But. The, the, the new administration is is not as enthusiastic, let's just say, about visiting Cuba or Americans yeah. visiting Cuba. So there are still direct flights from a number of cities to Havana, um, to Cuba, yeah. different points in Cuba. Up until the fall, really, you could only bring back Cuban rum or cigars if you had gone to Cuba, and even then you were limited. But now the rules have been uh, loosened a bit where you can bring back Havana Club or other, you know, Cuban products from any third-party, you know, country, uh, which is which is kind of amazing. So, you know, if you're traveling, you know, to Europe or Scandinavia or really Canada, you know, literally cross the river from Detroit into Windsor, yep. you can buy Havana Club now and, and bring it back uh, to the U.S., which is... Really, an amazing thing. Uh, I was just thing. in an airport two days ago, getting ready to buy some and uh, in duty free and take it on. And I get to the duty free right next to my gate, and the spirits section was closed for inventory. Oh. And I could see the Havana Club there, right in front of me. And you know, I don't mean to fetishize Havana Club. There are plenty of other good white rums. Sure, but or it dark is rums. does yeah. have a certain unique flavor to it. Yeah, and it does make a fantastic daiquiri. Yeah. And that is my summer drink of choice. So, uh, and, and you just wrote a story for the Daily Beast uh, about I, the daiquiri. I, I did, I did and indeed. And, and how uh, it is the drink of summer for you. Somebody brought back a bottle for me as I want to do. I ask a lot of my friends and relatives who are traveling outside the country <laughs> exactly. to bring back Havana Club for me. 
And um, now, one, you know, one of them even had a sticker on it that said, no, legal to bring back to the U.S. So oh, clearly, clearly yeah. they're, they yeah. know they're promoting this to yeah, America. Yeah. And we're, we're, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, I was never brave enough to do this, but certainly plenty of bartenders that, you know, we, oh, was, we would travel with would pack their suitcases <laughs> yeah. full of Havana Club. And You know what I would do is uh, I'd buy two bottles in duty-free, and it comes in the duty-free plastic bag. And uh, when I before I got off the plane, I just put that plastic bag into a canvas tote, and uh, just walk right through customs. Nobody ever stopped me. And if they do, they just take it away. That's not most of the customs officials. That's not their biggest worry. No, you know, exactly. duty free. You know, no. Havana Club that you bought a duty free is yeah. That's, uh, that's I mean, pretty low on the list. That's a good day for them if that's yeah. all they found on yeah. uh, people entering the yeah. U.S. It's really interesting because for the you know for so long we've been living with the ghost of you know Hemingway and. All these other, you know, famous, you know, drinkers, you know, who in Cuba mm-hmm. and all these stories. And now for the first time, really, you know, either of our lifetimes, people actually can go and visit these places and experience them for themselves and see what the drinks are like. And obviously that's both, I'm sure, uh, a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, well, it, it is. And yeah, exactly. The, the drinks in Cuba these days are improving. They still don't have the ingredients. Right. It's still a poor country. It's still got a communist economy, and they're not really uh, flooded with luxury goods. They use local imitation liqueurs that are terrible. Also, on the other hand, they have a fund of native talent behind the bar. These people know how to take you know, three or four simple ingredients and make delicious drinks out of them. So if you order carefully, you can drink very well. Right. People always bust on the mojito. A Cuban creation, A Cuban right? creation, exactly, Uh uh, supposedly made at the beach there. It's uh, in Havana, one of the beach clubs around 1910. Really simple drink, you know, lime juice, sugar, soda water, ice, mint, and rum. People have, for years before I went to Cuba were telling me how crappy they were at the Bodeguita del Medio, which is the main bar that features this drink and the bar that popularized it back in the 50s. I went there and they had a row of glasses little highball glasses all set up with a little mint uh, muddled in lime juice and sugar at the bottom and the rum poured in. And then as people came in, they would just put some ice and seltzer in there and give it a stir. And, you know, it was delicious. It was a simple, refreshing drink. Very simple. And also kind of the answer. So many American bartenders always complain about making mojitos. You yeah. Know, the, you know, it's one of those drinks where. Prep them in advance. You know. Do 50 of them. Bartenders <laughs> yeah. hate making, you know, Ramos gin fizzes yeah. because they have to shake so long to get that froth. They hate right. the mojitos because they have to muddle. If you know that you're going to be serving a whole bunch of mojitos. Yeah, you can do it. Just line it up. You don't have to build it in the shaker. You don't have to do all these extra steps. It's a very simple drink, you know. It's a simple, refreshing, hot weather drink. Right. That's it. It's also, that's a good tip also for for summer parties. If you have a mojito party, you could just muddle, you know, set out a row of glasses, put in the sugar, muddle the mint. Yep. And you're ready to go. Yeah, just press it it lightly. You don't really muddle it. You know, you give it just a little press to break the veins and you're ready to go. Then just ice and soda water and eat, you know, give it a quick stir. And everybody will think that you're a mixing genius, uh, mixological genius. Exactly. And everybody will be happy. The secret is you don't want a very big glass because you don't want to drown it in soda. Got it. Like a six ounce, eight ounce little juice glass. And I guess with the, with the rum and the mint and then the ice. So you really just want maybe like an ounce or two of of club soda. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You want to, it's, it's going to be a, just a little short, tasty yeah. drink, you know? Now, and the fresher the, the club soda, the better, obviously. Yeah. you want fresh that. fresh and cold. 
You want that bite that really, you know, yeah. that almost almost that harshness. Yeah, that's why you put it in at the end, you know, yeah, exactly. and, and you just make sure it's really cold and uh, and you're good. It's but that's I mean that's classic. The Cubans had their own way of drinking, obviously. Yeah. And then in the late 19th century, you start hearing about, uh, and this is even before the Americans came into Cuba. You know, Havana was this big city, very close to us. Uh, there were a, there was a lot of American interest in it. There were a lot of American travelers down there even before we uh, kind of went and took over Cuba. Yeah. And uh, you start hearing about, if you go through old newspapers and stuff, travelers' accounts, people saying, you know, the bartenders down there are really good. <laughs> they, these guys know how to throw a drink back yeah. and forth in a huge arc. They know how to uh, mix the latest New York drinks. They'll make you a Manhattan sure. just fine. And we're talking, you know, in the early 1890s, something wow, like that. Wow, that far back. They were already kind of paying attention to this because it turns out the Cubans were really good at it. I mean, they weren't heavy drinkers like Americans. They they laughed when Americans went down there at how much Americans drank. And that was even before Hemingway showed up. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. I mean, then, you know, he raised the average uh, <laughs> phenomenal amount, plus all the heavyweights that sure. he hung out with, his whole yeah, crew absolutely. was uh, was devastating. You know, originally the the Cubans themselves in Cuban culture, if you were poor, of course, you drank whatever you could get, whenever you could get. That's the same pretty much anywhere. But the middle class, they weren't heavy drinkers, but they were frequent drinkers. Yeah. And uh, they would take a little glass of wine or maybe Bacardi rum and soda. That was right. popular. Sure. You know, something just really simple like that. And obviously being right in the Caribbean, I yeah. mean, the, the rum, you know, the rum trade had been around for oh, yeah, now, several hundred years. And yeah. You know, really, the access to I guess again, sort of varying degrees in quality of rum and you know, expensive. Yeah, you know, some were expensive, some were not. Rum uh, had its own style. Also, it wasn't heavy and funky like the Jamaican right. rum. They were kind of trying to make a, a, a almost a rum cognac. You know, just something smooth and uh, yeah. and 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 pleasant to drink that wasn't overpowering. I think that's one of the most fascinating things about rum is that it sort of develops almost its own flavor profile, depending upon island from island, country to country. Oh, exactly. And you have, you know, the, the rum agricole from Martinique mm-hmm. is this kind of funky monster, you know, and it's then got you a have, lot of bite. right. And then you have, you know, the Jamaican stuff or, you know, all this other, you know, each one sort of develops in its own kind of bubble and it produces a whole other style, even though it's the same ingredients, same still for the most part, same process, whether well, it's rum or uh, molasses or rum is the whole ecosystem of booze. In the key of sugarcane, <laughs> you know, you, you've got you, you've got sugarcane vodkas. Yeah, you've got sugarcane armagnacs. The rum, right. the rum sure. agricoles have that armagnac bite. You Absolutely, know, that the French really like. Yeah, uh, you've got sugarcane like mellow brandies. You've got yeah. sugarcane bourbons for sure. There's yeah. a lot of uh, bourbon style rums, in the, especially from the 1980s, 90s, 2000 aughts. And now we're kind of going back to the uh, the old. Planters style, very funky rums. Right, uh, people are starting to to appreciate those again, mostly for mixing into punch and tiki or drinks and stuff. Stand up to all the mixers. Yeah, always... and so you you've got all these different styles. For every spirit you can name, you can find a rum that kind of yeah. follows that flavor profile. Absolutely, which is amusing. it's kind of fascinating. I mean, you know, you have all these different countries making rum, mm-hmm. but so many of the cocktails seem to originate in Cuba. You know, like the mojito, obviously, you know, the daiquiri, you know, is taken to sort of new levels, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, in Cuba, you know. Well, I mean, the daiquiri, it's an old idea, rum, sugar, uh, and uh, lime juice. I mean, what, what's right. wrong with that, right? <laughs> uh, that, that goes back to uh, punch in the, uh, in the 1600s, and, you know, who knows 
maybe before, but uh, and so many of our cocktails today follow yeah, the that, same. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's same formula. Just basic mixology. The daiquiri itself is kind of interesting because uh, the story is uh, is well documented, which is rare with cocktails. Sure. And there was this group of American mining engineers, uh, American and Canadian, uh, working for the Spanish American Iron Mine uh, near the village of Daiquiri on the uh, south coast of Cuba. And uh, they didn't have a lot of booze there, uh, at least a lot of imported stuff. They'd get the occasional bottle of scotch. But they were pretty isolated. You know, they were yeah. at the mines. Yeah. Every once in a while, they'd get some ice from their, when their supply boat came in. And that would be a good day. Right. You know, it's, you're, you're in the tropics. It's hot. The closest city to where they were was Santiago de Cuba, which had the Bacardi factory. Or, you know, fairly small at the time, a producer of good quality, mellow rums made uh, in pot stills and uh, maybe cleaned up a little with charcoal filtration right. to, to smooth it out. But, you know, on its own, uh, these were whiskey drinkers. They wanted right. something a, l- a little more. And so they would combine it with lime juice and sugar. And because they were Americans, they had a cocktail shaker. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so, or they uh, turned something into a cocktail yeah, shaker. Yeah, exactly. Uh, at the time, you know, citrus didn't go into cocktails in yeah. America. We didn't drink our punches in cocktail glasses. Right. You know, citrus, citrus made punch, and punch went in a long glass or in a sour glass. But these guys were hanging around. That's what they had. They had some cocktail glasses. Probably had one glass. Had, That's, you know, beggars can be chooser. They had some sugar. They had plenty of Bacardi rum. Uh, they had limes wherever. You just reach out your hand for those. They had ice coming in once a month from their supply chain. And so they they threw together this drink, and they all started tinkering with the proportions. Yeah. There were seven guys there, and finally uh, they hit on something they really liked, and they started popularizing it. Their leader, Jennings Cox, got the credit for the invention, but it was really, as far as we can tell, sort of a group invention, a bunch of guys hanging out, basically. They said, hey, you know, this is actually a really good drink. Still and, good uh, still good for groups yeah, of friends and yeah, uh, parties. Exactly, and uh, especially if you have a big shaker. Yeah, you absolutely. You can make a lot, of, a lot of daiquiris at once. It's a drink that you got to be careful with because it's strong and doesn't taste it. Right. You know, as del- they found out. <laughs> <laughs> good. You can make a royal one. I made one a couple of days ago. You just top it with a little bit of bubbly. It's delicious. Oh, that's delicious, too. That's also dangerous. Yeah, that's a yeah, very... Or airmail, as that's sometimes called. Sure. Or the, with honey, usually. They yeah, exactly. Uh, one of these guys takes it to Havana. He goes to Havana and uh, teaches uh, the popular bar bartender there, Maragato. This guy was the kind of dean of Cuban bartenders. And we're talking 1898, 1900. Wow. You know, really early. The Americans had gotten here in 18, gotten there rather, to Cuba in 1898. Then it goes to Havana and it starts to make the rounds of the bars there. The bartenders there work on it too, you know, till. They got it just right. Between uh, American sailors were down in Santiago and met Jennings Cox and learned about the drink, American naval officers, and American tourists in Havana. It starts to catch on. (laughs) And by 1910, it's in America. And that was a decade of cocktail innovation. And the daiquiri was one of the biggest. It really caught on fast. And sales of Bacardi just went through the roof. Because of it. Because of that. And then other Cuban rums came in as well and uh, that really just put white rum into the american market yeah we didn't really drink white rum before that it is really fascinating I mean, you have the mojito you have the daiquiri obviously there's a bacardi cocktail that comes from there um i mean is the rum and coke the, the cuba libra you hear about pretty early on yeah uh, it's that one's less documented you hear about a cuba libra cocktail right. as early as like 1905 something right. like that maybe even earlier but it doesn't have a recipe attached 
So we can't be sure it's the same thing. Four of the biggest cocktails ever oh, yeah. invented all have a connection or well-documented to be made in Cuba, which is I mean, sort of mind-boggling. Yeah, it's, for it's got a unique record. You know, yeah. I mean, Cuba was in there early with the, uh, with, <laughs> with the mixologists. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You, I mean, you had several good cocktail bars. The bars. At the at the hotel Inglaterra was really good. You had uh, John Escalante there, who'd worked in New York, and who wrote the first Cuban cocktail book in 1915. Floridita, the El Florida. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, I think one, that one yeah. of the great bars in the world to this day. I think that that sort of uh, you know I was going to lead up to that, but I think yeah. we've we've arrived. Um, yeah. I mean, I it, the Floridita could almost deserves its own episode of, of this podcast or any. Well, we'd have to go down there really right. to do it. You know, That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, I, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, um, Constante and, you know. Constante Ribalagua was born in Catalonia, north of Barcelona, and went to Havana with his father at an early age. His father worked, uh, as far as, as we can tell, the story is, you know, there's no accurate, detailed biography. He was a bartender. He wasn't a... Uh, uh, Sure. A statesman, you know. Right. So, so the, the 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 biographical details get a little hazy. He went to the English school in in Cuba, learned English, started tending bar at the Floridita owned by fellow Catalans. He rapidly distinguished himself by the just excellent skill and excellent taste. He may have invented the most popular cocktail in Cuba, uh, the Presidente. Somebody uh, interviewing him mentioned it as one of his creations. And he didn't say no, which is interesting because he was a very modest man. Right. You know, another rum cocktail. Another rum. It's like a rum Manhattan right. with a couple just slight subtleties to it. You use a sweet white vermouth, not a sweet red vermouth. Interesting. And a spoonful of orange curacao and huh. a spoonful of grenadine maybe or right. a half spoonful and stirred. And it's absolutely delightful. Yeah. You know, a really, really good drink with rum, of course. And that was the drink that the Cubans actually liked. More than the daiquiri, they they like right. this as a little bit of a aperitivi sweet edge. Sure, and uh, the vermouth was uh, definitely available there. Uh, both uh, vermouth de Chambéry, the like which we have now is Dolan, uh, this semi sweet French vermouth, but also uh, there was uh, dry vermouth and, and Italian white uh, in between. Italian semi sweet white vermouth were all sold there. You know, there was it was a good yeah. liquor market. And uh, they had a wide variety of ingredients. So anyway, Constante uh, eventually takes over the bar in the 1920s. And it's not the most famous bar in town uh, in the 1920s. That's some of the hotel bars. The bar at the Milt Biltmore where you have Edwin, uh, Eddie Welke from uh, Philadelphia is really popular. And Eddie is a, you know, a, a classic pre-war, uh, pre-prohibition American bartender who worked at various top New York bars like the Knickerbocker Hotel bar, which was uh, known as the 42nd Street Country Club, which tells you who was uh, hanging out there. 
And, and the quality of their drinks, Yeah, obviously. the quality of their drinks was, was top. You've got these American aces down there. People, you know, American tourists get around, start to see people saying, well, you know, really the best drinks, you got to go see this guy. Just around the corner from the Park Central at this uh, Florida restaurant or Floridita bar, and uh, you go see Constante, and he really is the artist. By, like, 1930, he's really got this reputation. The dean of the, the bartending community is still Maragato, who's a little bit older, also a Spanish immigrant. But Constante is like the high priest of it. You know, he's the intellectual. He's the guy who invents all the drinks. He's the rising star. He's the rising star. And his bar under him, it becomes the popular bar for discerning American drinkers. Right. The other ones go to Sloppy Joe's, which is huge and lively as all hell. Supposedly John Wayne's favorite, oh, Graham Greene's favorite. Uh, it had the the longest bars in in the world, I oh, think. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, everybody says that it right. wasn't, but it was a big <laughs> long bar. It had its own brand of rum. It had just the standard drinks and beer, and it was famous for just being having a, a rowdy party atmosphere. Uh, there's a great anecdote by Charlie Barnett, the great American uh, jazz big band leader, who uh, came from a good family and was the black sheep of the family. He's playing alto sax and dance bands in the 20s, early 30s, and he's broke in Cuba, and he starts working as a gigolo out of Sloppy Joe's oh <laughs> for a little while. Right. You know, he's, Interesting. He's, he's making himself accommodating to uh, American yeah. tourist ladies. It shuts down, like, I guess, in 1965, and then it's closed yeah. for 50 years. Yeah. And, and now it's reopened. The Cuban government has sort of reopened it, spiffed it up. It looks... Sort of like you know, yeah, I haven't. Time when machine. I was there, they were. Uh, it was 2011, and uh, they were just starting the process. But uh, yeah, you can. I mean, for you know, for the first time in decades, yeah. you can you can have a drink at, at Sloppy Joe's again. I. I mean, it was kind of like you know the Margaritaville of Havana. The TJF Fridays. The TJF Fridays. It was like there weren't a lot of Cubans in there. Put right. it that way. Except behind the bar. So I don't know if I would necessarily... Uh, run back there. Run back well, there. You, but I, it was you, always fun. Evidently. It's funny. It's like I've seen photos. Like they would do a... You know, like almost like if you go to, you know, a theme park today. Yeah. They, the, the restaurant itself, Sloppy Joe's, you could take a group photo and they would do like a little photo book with, you know, let's oh, yeah. say it's Sloppy Joe's. So, I, I have one of those, actually. So it's kind of an amazing uh, thing uh, that uh, even then they were, you know... Uh, the one I have... Is this tells you a little bit about the bar? There's a fairly sloppy looking Cuban policeman, older fellow who looks like he's been maybe uh, leaning on the bar a little too much. Sure. Uh, and on either side of him is this American couple, stuffy, middle aged, overdressed, drunk, and not used to being drunk. And it's like New Year's, like 1930. Right. You know, it's the type of place where it's almost always New Year's. Discerning drinkers would go around the corner to the Floridita and have these absolutely exquisite cocktails. And and, and that's where supposedly, you know, according to lore, one of the stories I heard was Hemingway needed the bathroom. He ran in, you know, used the facilities. And when he came out, he developed his Papa Doble. I mean, I probably. Who knows? I mean, mean, what it was was a uh, one of the standard variations on the daiquiri that. Constante made, uh, except without the sugar, because Hemingway, you know, said he was a diabetic and couldn't have the sugar, or or it was it was the, something like that. But he left the maraschino liqueur, which is all sugar, and, and that was in there, and double and double rum is double, that yeah, double size, double size, and he had it served in a highball glass, 
uh, rather than a cocktail glass because it was a double. And furthermore, he would take uh, a napkin and put it around the glass, and he kept rubber bands in his pocket that he would put around the napkin so that it would keep the napkin on it so his hand wouldn't get cold. Amazing. I mean... <laughs> and it, I mean, he still has the record, supposedly, of 17 of those. Yeah, I... and, and according to Philip Green, you know, one of our other um, writers who wrote a, mm-hmm. a really interesting book about Hemingway and drinking called To Have and To Have Another, Philip, you know, was like, I think that, that actually there's a lot of myth and there's a lot of stories about Hemingway in Cuba that aren't true and a lot of bars that claim yeah. he drank there or discovered. Yeah, which he didn't, like the he, yeah, he, there's no, he's, there. yeah, that Philip, even though they have a plaque up there, yeah. there's, it's, no, there's no truth about that. But he's pretty certain that this 17 Papa Doble record oh, stands, it. that that was a pretty legitimate thing. I remember there's a, I came across a book of Hemingway photos and there's an amazing one from Floridita where Hemingway's standing there and you talked a little bit about the crew that he rolled with, mm-hmm. but there's Spencer Tracy at the corner yeah, of the bar, and all these, these other, guys. you know, it's amazing. I mean, can I you know, imagine, I you know, know. You're, you're in at the Floridita and there's Hemingway and all his chums drinking. Uh, and you get like these journalists that we don't know anymore, but back in the day were just really funny, like witty, uh, hard drinking types that would hang out with that crowd, like Robert Ruark, who was the king of rants and uh, you know, this guy hated everything and, uh, and is very funny about it. And you can, you can imagine the talk was, uh, was sure pretty lively in the corner there. Well, and today there's obviously a bronze statue of Hemingway at the corner of the space at Florida. (laughs) So, I mean, you, you can still drink with Hemingway there. Um, Exactly. I think there's a photo of him with Castro on the wall from back in the day. Um, I I mean, it it was definitely a, uh, it became a, sort of an adult playground for Americans. You know, there were, I think, ferries going back and forth. Um, oh, yeah. Parties, hotels. I oh, remember, yeah. you know, as a kid, my grandmother had, you know, castanets and, you know. Uh, of course. You know, that said Havana on it yeah. and the little, you know, uh, you know, other little trinkets that I don't think she ever went, but some of her friends brought back for her. And, you know, oh, and there, was a, there was a seamy side, too. Sure. There was a lot of gambling. There were. Uh, prostitution. Prostitution uh, and, you know, live sex shows right. and. All kinds of stuff like that. Right. It was a uh, it was a lot of corruption there. It wasn't all like clever talk and repartee at the bar. Right. There was a lot of a lot of disgraceful stuff too. But there was among that, you know, there were some bars. The bar at the Hotel Nacional, uh, was, famous one. There yeah. was was a great one. The uh, Ambos Mundos bar. I mean, some of these bars really were excellent bars. Floridita had a certain excellence, uh, elegance rather. Some of the others maybe a little less elegance, but they still kept up the quality. And uh, you had the skilled mixology and these lovely, delightful drinks. I mean, it, I, I kind of feel like it's, you know, uh, sort of akin to New Orleans, you know, in the same kind of way well, where yeah, you have, well, yeah. you know, you have, you know, both amazing bars and, you know, all these cocktail innovations mm-hmm. and inventions and you know, some places that are really highbrow, and then there are some places that are really lowbrow. You've got the alibi right, and exactly. the iron rose. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, it's, and it's this amazing yeah. mix yeah. of low and high uh, and well, people going back, bouncing back and forth between having, you know, drinks at Floridita and then going to Sloppy Joe's or someplace else. And, I mean, I, I, I think that's a, that's a really good point. I've always kind of thought that they were twin cities. New Orleans was run from Havana. When the Spanish owned it, you know, one's at the top of the Gulf of Mexico, one's at the bottom. Right. Similar architecture. Yeah, and they kind of look at each other, you know, across the Gulf of Mexico with 
Yeah, there is a lot of uh, s- similar architecture in the in the center. Both grew large at the same time in the late 1800s, early yeah. 1900s. So they, they really do kind of mirror each other. And that's what we lost when Castro came in, though, you right. know, is another city like New Orleans, right. which hopefully we'll get back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because uh, we need it back. Uh, there are too few cities like that in the Americas. Uh, well, and so I mean, so important to drinkers. I mean, I can't, yeah. I can't really think of another destination that more drinkers, you know, the drinkers would want to visit more than Havana in Cuba. No, I mean Havana has got, I mean, this this long, well earned reputation. You know, they the Cubans actually were good at this. You right. know, yeah. they were good at the mixology. They were good at the bartending. The city had that looseness to it, like you said, with New Orleans, that is conducive to just having a great time. Like, we're walking around. Yeah. You know, there was a cocktail route. You could go from this bar right. to that bar to that bar around the corner. Uh, it was fabulous. I think it's also one of these amazing things where it still looks like you would imagine it would. I mean, obviously, there has oh, yeah. been development, but like... Not much, though. Not in the center. And it's, you know, it's it's almost a race you know, before, you know, Starbucks comes in and yeah. McDonald's. And I mean, there are a few places on earth, I think, have been spared, you know, the the modern, you know, development and all I the know. chain stores. And it, the, Cuba may be <laughs> the last place on earth without these familiar well, stores and restaurants. And, you know, it, it's worse than that, though, because it's also the people. Uh, right now, uh, you go into any bar in Havana, and there's amazing live music. Right. I was in uh, one of the bars... And there was this little combo playing, and this young lady was shaking the maracas. Pretty modest accomplishment, but whatever. She was good at that. For the next song, she puts them down and picks up a violin. Wow. And and out comes this tone that, like, takes years to, to develop. Right. Like this, this rich, chocolatey, uh, almost impossible to get out of a violin tone. It was really good. And it's, you know, there's no internet there. Right. People have time to work on skills like that. You know, they play music all day long, the bar, the bands. Right. They're, they're not like checking their Facebook right. and then running off to a gig. Right. They're just playing music. You see what we've lost in the modern world. You know, this, yeah. this dedication, the, the, the time to, to really hone a skill. It's a real throwback, I mean, yeah. in, in many ways. And, you know, you don't want to deprive people of uh, commerce with the modern world, but you hope sure. that, it, that it gets managed. Yeah, and I think that we're, we have a, a very special window now yeah. where – it's still, you know, it still very much feels like it did. I mean, it's it's almost been a time capsule. And obviously, as these, you know, as the laws loosen up, regardless of what's happening now mm-hmm. between our two countries, ultimately things one day will loosen up and we'll lose that. You know, the, the 1950s cars can't yeah. survive forever. Yeah. These no. buildings can't survive forever. No. Um, so, I mean, it, this is, you know, sort of a real... A real opportunity to get a, a true taste of, of yeah. old Havana. Yeah. Well, I, w- I would suggest, you know, for our listeners, you know, um, to, to get the Havana if they can. Um, or if not, then um, certainly pick up some Havana Club when they're traveling outside yeah. the U.S. And, and at the very least, go have a daiquiri. Absolutely. A, a fabulous summer drink. Two ounces of good white rum. Well, first, you, you the, the old Cuban way, if I may. Sure. Is you put a, a teaspoonful of sugar in the bottom of your shaker. Squeeze onto it the juice of half a lime and stir them together. You don't use simple syrup. Then you add the two ounces of good quality, slightly funky white rum. Fill it up with ice. Shake the hell out of it and strain it into a chilled glass. Done. No garnish, no nothing. Just drink. 
Some are in a glass. I'm going to make a daiquiri tonight, I think. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I never stop with one. <laughs> you know, it's the potato chip of the drink world. Absolutely. Uh, several daiquiris, hopefully, yeah. are in our near future. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll have a new episode of Life Behind Bars out shortly. Cheers. Salute. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.